Hello, everybody. Turn this up in my headphones, Charles. Turning it up, up, up. Hello, everyone, one and all. Welcome to the third installment of our Lord of the Rings buddy read. This is the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles, and with me is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. Yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm ready to do this thing, Charles. We're me closing too, out. Man. <laughs> <laughs> this is a big moment in any podcast's history. We are wrapping up our discussion of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It's a big moment for us. It's the conclusion of our third series ever at this point, right? I mean, yeah. we've been at this for a while, but <laughs> we've only completed three series at our every other week pace. Yeah, it's three pretty amazing, ones. actually, how much time is, has gone by and... Uh, how few series we've put away. <laughs> so definitely if this is your first time listening, keep tuning in for our relatively slow progress through the fantasy genre. But, you know, you have to savor these moments, you know. These, these books took years to write. I mean, you can't just, like, keep burning through them so fast, especially something like Lord of the Rings. So many layers, so complex, so much to discuss. So many appendices. <laughs> so many appendices that we will not be discussing today. I didn't read them at all. <laughs> no, me neither. <laughs> it was funny. My I was reading it on my Kindle, and I was like, man, how big How big is this book? Cause I was reading it, and I was barely getting a couple percent. And then I was, I was like, let me go to the end of the last chapter before the appendix start. And I was only like 52 six percent of the way through the book which is crazy so half the book is appendices and at least in my edition yeah mine you you've seen and i posted on social media i think right it's one of the thicker ones right it's oh it's it pretty much is as thick as the other two books combined part of that is the two towers is really short but well, the actual story of the Return of the King is shorter than the Two Towers. Really? Yeah, by word count, according to wow. when I did that Google search last week, I was just Google searching word counts of books, and Return of the King was the shortest. Hmm. Which if... I, looking at the books on my shelf, it looks to be the longest. But yeah, you cannot underestimate the power of appendices. It's <laughs> an interesting <laughs> comment. <laughs> Well, That's what people tune in for. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, Charles, we we should probably start this. Oh, we started the other ones in a similar way by letting people know where we come from with the Lord of the Rings series in the sense, uh, really just that we are, we're fans of the fantasy genre. This is my first time reading the Lord of the Rings. I've mm-hmm. seen the movies. Uh, we're we're far from experts. We never claim to be critics. We are enthusiasts. And Charles, mm-hmm. you have a little more experience with Lord of the Rings, but I think you you come from a similar right. Place. This is my third read through of the series. I'm by no means an expert. I have not poured through the appendix to 
beef up on my lore as we as we confessed earlier yeah but we are big enthusiasts me especially there's a lot of nostalgia factor but i also am just a huge fan of this story yeah and i think now that we've come to the tail end of this story charles i've been curious throughout as i've been reading what is it that draws you (laughs) so much to is this sounding (laughs) it sounds like your experience was um not overwhelmingly impactful not as (laughs) look i put respect on the name tolkien always have even before reading these i understand that influence of the lord of the rings on the genre i i did enjoy reading the trilogy i think the the biggest thing i'm taking away from is is now having this under my belt like i have read this and i know you pitched this that way back in our friends pitching fantasy episode that you knew it wasn't going to be my favorite series ever uh you were thinking i would like it i did uh i am a I'm a huge fan of the more modern, grittier fantasy, so you knew that this wasn't going to hit that spot for me. Right, and we kind of picked up on that on the when we picked up the first book, The Fellowship of the Ring. I was like, did you like it? Because I was like, look, just so you know, like, we've known each other for a long time. You've known I'm a fan, but I never was like, dude, stop what you're doing and read Lord of the Rings. You have to. You know, we were, I was always careful to trot on that ground because... I think a lot of people were in your position where they like fantasy and they like the movies and whatever, but the books just aren't their cup of tea. Because look, it's like a, it was written like, it was published like 70 years ago. It's just a different writing style, a different tone, a different kind of fantasy that I just wouldn't readily recommend to you. So when you ask me this question, like, what do you get out of it? Like, it doesn't surprise me too much. Um, Why does it hold such a special place in? your heart Charles well I think what was important first of all is that the movies were basically my first introduction to all of fantasy so that was a huge um influencing factor was like that whole fantasy world and themes and elves and dwarves and quests and all that stuff was like wow this is epic and then even going into the books, like we talked about in the last episode, I'm not like a huge extended lore guy. I appreciate that it's there and it makes the world lived in, but I don't need to pour through it and like absorb it all. Uh, but I don't, something about the Lord of the Rings, man. I, in the, I just keep going back to the word epic. It's a lot of what modern fantasy has is it's gritty and real and it's very much into psychology and morality, but something about this old school traditional epic fantasy quest and just the way Tolkien writes and the like extreme language that he uses to describe like superhuman feats and accomplishments it's I just go back to that word epic and that to me that that sense of epicness that huge challenge that long quest is what really pulls me into Lord of the Rings like no other story has it's not i wouldn't say it's my favorite book series of all time but it's definitely like the one that gives me that sense of traditional like there's no series that puts me in that epic fantasy quest mode like lord of the rings does 
that's totally fair. And and there are things we talked about this for sure in Fellowship of the Ring, Buddy Reed. So I don't want to go over well trodden ground too <laughs> much. There are things about this that I really appreciate in terms of the willingness to just enjoy presenting a world that Tolkien has clearly spent so much time developing to just such a degree, so much more than you would get from just about any world in modern fantasy except Malazan or something like that. Um, Right. I think anyone that goes into reading this trilogy for the first time in the modern age needs to have a good sense of perspective to kind of appreciate what's happening here. And I think being able to be like, go back to the 1950s, like remember its point in the history of fantasy literature and be in that mindset, being like, I'm reading something older, written in an older writing style and, and take it in that way. And I think it's just much easier to kind of appreciate and enjoy at, at that level. But even still, like, people just don't write like this anymore. I pulled so many amazing quotes that w- we can we can unpack today. But it's just this the way he describes certain things and, and the, like, the way he writes certain moments. It's just, I keep going back to that word epic. It, it it really is a way that I don't really get that in modern fantasy. Like maybe Patrick Rothfuss does a good job of writing like poetic, flowery, descriptive language, but it's different in that he's coming up with clever, interesting ways to write metaphors and things like that, whereas Tolkien is like a very much epic story tale use of language. So they both use language as a powerful tool for their writing for just writing something that's cool to read versus just delivering on plot, but in two very different ways. Yeah, I think that's well stated, Charles. And it, it does come through. There's there's a poetry to a lot of what Tolkien writes that I, I appreciate. And I, I like how willing he is to portray this stuff without any cynicism i guess there's there's something about sometimes the darker fantasy or modern stuff that can almost compared to this feel like it's insecure about being fantasy yeah and i speak as a huge fan of of grimdark and the grittier stuff you know i'm a huge fan of joe abercrombie and right now i'm I'm reading the poppy war which is uh, a a series that people do refer to as grimdark and i'm loving it i wouldn't say those feel that way but some of the other stuff i've read that is labeled as grimdark almost feels like it's trying so hard to be gritty and dark and cynical that it's like okay well People do like magic and interesting <laughs> worlds. That's part of why they're reading fantasy. Right. And sometimes it's nice to, this is the elf queen. She can do no wrong. She's gorgeous. Everyone loves her. Blah, blah, blah. She's got all these powers. She gives powerful gifts. You know, it's kind of, it's always nice to step into that world of like, 
wonder and, and beauty that Tolkien can create that I feel like a lot of modern fantasy when authors are trying to kind of carve their position in the space feel like they need to um, kind of go against that a little bit you know try and be more relatable and more modern yeah it's interesting to think about <laughs> I kept having this feeling Charles I know you get on me for <laughs> acting because I'm reading Lord of the Rings for the first time now after reading all of the stuff that subverted <laughs> it <and> then <laughs> you then get on me or taken things from it and not even subvert it and I you get on me when I start making it seem like the modern stuff came first so I no, we both that were, I know. We were doing that you know it's just a funny thing because that's how it played out chronologically in our experience but yes. <laughs> these books came out a like a whole different world you know and I want to start by saying that I understand this all came way before but to someone who's read as much modern fantasy and not read Lord of the Rings like I have almost some of the things that we're doing felt like subversions <laughs> of what I've come to know as the right, current like fantasy it's come genre. full circle. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like the denouement that we get of <laughs> this series. I know I, I sent you some texts that <laughs> that I don't know what your reactions were to those where I was kind of confused why the book was still happening for maybe the last <laughs> hundred pages or so. Because <laughs> I mean, and there's spoilers. Yeah, let's get into spoilers Uh, now for Return of the King. Uh. (laughs) Yeah, we do all these buddy read discussions of spoilers, though our other discussions often don't. And, you know, the story would be just about over for most modern fantasy when the ring has been done away with. I mean, there'd be that moment... And then we'd probably get a brief epilogue afterward where we'd get something of a sense of closure what, around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like kind of what happened to the main folks, but not detailed descriptions of how uh, Faramir finally found love. Yeah. <laughs> And then, like, Aragon goes back to Gondor, yes. and, you know, waiting for all these things to happen, and then the elves arrive, they have the ceremony, then they head back, and they work their way to the Shire, they stop at all these places. Yeah, because when the ring plops into Mount Doom in the movie, it's like, there's not too much left, there's another, like, 30, 40 minutes, but yeah. there's all these tales that went untold in the movies that take place in the books. In the book, it's only you're only just over halfway, basically, when the ring is destroyed. And this, like, all these other things happen. And we can get into those, but I was thinking maybe it would be fun to go kind of a little more chronological order, maybe by dropping a quote or something about certain moments that I liked, and you can kind sure. of let me know what your what your vibes were. So one yeah. of these characters that I thought was really strong that appears pretty early in the Return of the King it is Eowyn, our our heroine of the story. And the quote I pulled from her that's pretty early on in the book is, uh, What do you fear, lady? He asked. A cage, she said, to stay behind bars until use and old age accept them and all chance of doing great deeds is gone beyond recall or desire. Which is a great example of that old school epic writing. And it's also a super interesting take 
for when you consider the 50s you don't mm-hmm. consider there to be a female character with these kind of um stronger points of view but Tolkien this was a great character for Tolkien I thought yeah I think that Tolkien went <laughs> went one for one on good female characters. Yeah. <laughs> now, well, there's Galadriel there and Arwen, but they don't really count. And the Lord of the Rings movies get panned too for being like not a diverse cast at all, mostly mm-hmm. dudes, like no strong female characters. But um, for something written in the 50s, I think Eowyn is a really strong character that would hold up just as good in a book published in in 2020 you know she's just a really strong character and i love her her backstory and every moment that she's in she steals the scene for me i'd agree with that eowyn does stick out as a great character and as you said placing this in the 50s then we can say that tolkien having any female character in a fancy novel here that has this much bravery and this much personality and uh, so valiant in her approaches to things. I think, yeah, I, I really like Eowyn. It was interesting. Her, her relationship with Faramir was, was kind of tacked on. I, I didn't yeah, really their, understand what was their going on romance there. was my least favorite part of her and up until that point though and even at those points where she's explaining that her her fears of being of being married and of not being able to do great deeds like all the people around her her brother and her uncle and all these people going off to war the Rohirrim are very much pride themselves on riding horses out into battle and she's expected to stay behind you know, it's a really interesting perspective. Mm-hmm. And then you have this great moment in Pl- Plenier Fields, the Battle of Plenier Fields, which in the movie it, it is is so epic. And then I'll read the quote from the book here. Let me see if I can find it. Um, she says, But no living man am I. You look upon a woman, Eowyn I am, Edmund's daughter. Be gone if you be not deathless, for living or dark undead, I will smite you if you touch him. And it's basically he's like no man can can harm me, and then he she just murks him. <laughs> Such a great moment in both the yeah. movie and this and this book. Yeah, that's an awesome moment. I definitely remember that from the movie as well. So I, I knew that was coming, and I was wondering if it was. I was wondering if the movie changed it to make it a little bit more. Uh, like, hey, okay, we've got like one woman in this whole freaking movie. Yeah. We got to make her cool and do stuff that's awesome. Yeah. And no, this was in the text. This was in the text. Yeah. So I was <laughs> impressed by that. I think I the mean, movie did a good job of condensing it to um, I am no man, is all she says yeah. instead of, but no living man am I. You look on me, daughter of so and so. I will smite you. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> they definitely were just like, I am no man. Boom. You know, it's definitely a much more like movie moment. <laughs> True. But. There's a few things that are much more movie moments. The way that I I know we're skipping ahead of your chronological yeah, thing. If I go, go here, for it. I'm going to do it anyway, which is 
the way that Gollum ends up taking the ring and then it's like what I could grasp from reading that scene was he's basically, he takes the ring and then he's kind of like dancing around because he's so happy that he got the ring back and then he like falls in <laughs> to Mount Doom and then it's like, oh, well, guess that's done with. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like this dramatic moment in the movies. It, it plays out a similar way in the movies where he's like, it's mine, it's mine. But he's like, as he's falling, he doesn't even realize he's falling because he's so yeah. enamored with having the ring back. And even as he's like burning, he's holding it up, admiring yeah. it, you know, which is intense. The book doesn't go too crazy into that. But I do, <laughs> it is kind of, you know, he Tolkien doesn't do step-by-step action. It's like, and this happened, yeah. and this happened, and this happened. So to read, like, and then he tripped and fell in was fine. For me, I love that moment because you think of old-school fantasy and you always critique it as, oh, the good guy wins through virtue, mm-hmm. you know, from being so good. But in this case, I love, first of all, I love that Sam carries Frodo that yeah, last stretch of the way. I mean, that just pulls at my heartstrings. Like, where is that quote? I have it right here. Da, 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 da. And it's, oh, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you and it as well, which is such like a touching moment. That whole time he's like, he's not sleeping at all, watching over Frodo, letting him sleep. He's not eating. He's walking extra distance to go fetch water and things like that. And that last moment where he's already gone so above and beyond, he's now this act of like cradling him and carrying him that last step of the way was very touching. And then after all that, Frodo refuses (laughs) to get rid of it which I love that creative decision of like, no, this is mine. I'm going to keep it. And then he puts it on. And then having Gollum bite the finger off and fall into the lava is also such a brilliant idea. Also, like I'm so kind of desensitized to it because, you know, you grow up with that story and you know that story. But I don't know, rereading this, I was trying to put my headspace back into those early fantasy kind of ideas like, king arthur and whatever and i was like this is amazing like having a creature bite off the finger and take the ring that way and and Mm -hmm. fall in and 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 you know the good guy failed in his attempt to cast it in himself like he was supposed to kind of a thing after sam worked so hard to get him there and they both (laughs) like all these people are struggling to give them that moment and frodo's like no it's mine (laughs) (laughs) awesome it is awesome I feel like the stuff with Sam, Frodo, and Gollum is, I'll just say it's my favorite stuff in yeah. these books by so large a margin. It's the Frodo-Sam relationship. I mean, what can we say about that relationship that hasn't been said on 20 other it's so, podcasts? In the books, it's or so touching. It really is. And I'll say... To Charles, <laughs> hopefully people have been listening to <laughs> our episodes where we talk about our trip to New Zealand, and <laughs> I we probably just released the the Mount Doom episode the came Mount out Doom on Wednesday, episode. and this is Sunday now, so yeah, it just came out. And having climbed Mount Doom ourselves, I very <laughs> much empathized with. Especially Sam, (laughs) 
as they're going up and it's being described as such an arduous, intense process. And I'm like, I feel you. This, this is tough. Right. And when he's got to carry him, I'm like, you, Charles, can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> no way. You're going to have to just drag yourself up. <laughs> like, come on, man, you can do it. I'm not, I'm not carrying you. <laughs> I'd probably explicitly say that. <laughs> pretty much so yeah no i mean and when we did our favorite protagonists and i and i meant our our favorite characters just all straight up Mm -hmm. characters uh, sam was my first choice and a lot of that is from this book in particular it starts with shelob at the end of two towers but it really culminates in this where it's like sam could arguably be the the focal point of the story especially when you're talking about a hero He's really the only character to, in my eyes, in this whole series that embodies the hero, where he's just so um, selfless and and sacrifices so much and, and overcomes so many incredible obstacles. Like, yeah, he didn't he didn't bear the ring, but he did for a little while, and he gave it up, he and did. then he carried Frodo up to the top, and he he his attitude never changed. He was always positive, and he was always just be- the fact that Frodo was still alive made him think of him always. You know, it's kind of like this parent-child mentality. It's like I'm just focusing on keeping you alive and, as, you know, I can't even worry about myself. Be- I- I'm driven by my love for you, which was really touching. And then, of course, they throw the ring into the fire and then they just think they're going to die now because there's lava everywhere. And then this moment that Frodo has, he's like, for the for the quest is achieved and now all is over. I'm glad you are here with me here at the end of all things, Sam. And you're just like, oh, so, so sweet. (laughs) It's like, here we are. We finally did this thing and now we're done. I'm just glad you're here. And that's what a lot of the Lord of the Rings is about. And that's what makes these moments so touching. Like the books do a good job, but they didn't really have the time to explore the amount of sacrifices that Sam had to make on behalf of Frodo. And um, you're saying the movies, the mo- Oh yeah. Yeah. Too. The movies did that. Right. And um, you know, they didn't really get the screen time to push their relationship as far as, as the books do, but they do a very admirable job. I just feel like Sam kind of sits as the, as the sidekick more. So uh, in, I would in totally books. agree. Charles, having had seen the movies already and then reading the books now in the intervening time between those two things, I'd known there's so much hype about Sam and (laughs) I heard you in our favorite characters episode talking about Sam, I mean, just as one of your favorite characters, hard stop. And he has such a following. People love him. And after seeing the movies, I was like, I guess I get this. Obviously, right. he does some great things and the carrying. He <laughs> did fight a spider at some point. Yeah. But in the <laughs> in the books, you get some of this background. Like we said in our last episode, you get to actually understand what it means that he was able to injure Shelob. Right. You understand... Uh, just how much deeper he cares for Frodo than you could ever expect a person to do. And in this denouement, you get the, 
kind of how Sam returns to the Shire and really get to spend more time with him and see what it means to have done all the things that he's done. And I think being able to go through all that, I have a much better understanding now of why Sam is revered so much in the fantasy community. (laughs) That's good to hear. And that's not surprising either. It's just, you get so much more time with Sam and Tolkien spends a lot of time describing his deeds in great detail that the movies just don't get the opportunity to. Not that that works. Like the the movies are excellent. They do a great job. It's just the book format. He was able to explain all of these things more and like the weight of the ring as he puts it on and that, the the idea of how much he like, I'll go like having climb Mount doom and not being able to take an extra step. The idea of while everyone else is resting to go and get water and come back, like the amount of extra climbing you'd have to do and walking just to support Frodo is crazy. So those kinds of things you just, and that's that old school language, man. It's just those kinds of moments where it's like, I'm glad you're here with me here at the end of all things. It's like, so (laughs) it's like so over the top, like so dramatic, but it's earned at that moment because they finally tossed the ring into the fires of Mount doom. You know, it's a really emotional moment. It gets in there anyway. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) To say they tossed it. Oh yeah. They didn't toss it in. Uh, It it gets in there. They just, they (laughs) succeeded in their quest anyway. Um, So that's such a great, moment just to rewind a little bit what'd you think of the um the paths of the dead in this series i mean it's an it's an interesting idea i i think i kind of to be honest it doesn't <laughs> i don't think it, it gave me. i i understand <laughs> i understand say uh, no more i'll say yeah. the movies did a much better job of making this interesting <laughs> There is that great line, like, um, the way is shut, it's made by those who are dead, and the dead keep it until the time comes, the way is shut, and then also the line, the dead do not suffer the living to pass, like, those are kind of cool ideas, but, like, and then you have that funny moment with Gimli, where it's like, an elf will go underground, and a dwarf dares not, I'll never hear the end of it, you know, is which that is in the movies was comic relief, but it actually tortures Gimli throughout <laughs> the whole book. Like he comes back later, he's like, "Dude, I didn't go in, man. I'm so I, I failed my whole race." <laughs> but it's brutal. It didn't really, you know. It was one of those things where it's like Tolkien had so many cool ideas, and this was another one of them. But I was so used to how it plays out in the movies, where they talk to the lead guy, and then they jump out of the boats and all the ghosts are attacking all the other all the people left and gondor and that doesn't you know not really describe so much in the book in the books it's just like they went there and they did that yeah barely registers and i'm I'm like wow okay i don't know if i would have understood what was happening so much if i didn't have the movies as kind of a reference but some cool lines in there but overall one of the least successful uh, things for me. <laughs> it's just one of the few things that let the movie really did do much better. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm surprised they put as much time in it in the movies as they did, but yeah, it was cool. Um, then we have another really interesting dynamic early on in the series that I want to talk about was this whole Gandalf, Mary, Denethor 
relationship like trio and then basically the denethor tragedy uh, um in this story as well which i thought was super interesting um we have denethor son of boromir and faramir and they meet him father did i say son (laughs) father thank you father i was like i really didn't understand this book yeah (laughs) it's like no i just am needing to focus here so he's the father of boromir and faramir and this is the first time we're meeting him and he's a very gruff (laughs) direct already kind of broken down kind of guy i just thought those scenes were super interesting because we're used to gandalf and mary being like the good guys and they do good everywhere they go and denethor is just not interested he's like you bring you bring horrible news and tragedy wherever you go gandalf you i do not welcome you here (laughs) so which is a really interesting take (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i do remember that exchange i remember I remember some of Gandalf's rationalizing. It's like, look, I come when I <laughs> when I need stuff. And so it's like I'm, I'm I'm I am trying to be one of the one of the good folks here. But I do is interesting seeing a perspective of Gandalf being a bearer of bad news anyway when he shows up and not being excited by the idea of him because you are used to this this feeling that the hobbits get when they see Gandalf and it's kind of just exciting. Ooh, Gandalf's in town. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't have a ton more on that necessarily. Um, I just love, we get a lot of time. I feel you get a lot of time. And for me, those, those scenes moved pretty fast for me. I did enjoy those. Like, I don't know if necessarily Tolkien is writes great dialogue, but the Denethor moments, I thought, were some of the more interesting pieces of dialogue where he's totally just like, you guys don't see it, but we're doomed. You sent the, you sent the ring into Mount doom with hobbits. Like, right. <laughs> and now you're here. I've got an army marching on my door. My favorite son is dead. Yeah. And and then Faramir's like, what will you have me do? You know, you want me to, to be like Boromir and charge into Minas Tirith. And he's like, yes. <laughs> and he's like, well, if I come back, I hope you don't think less of me. He's like, that depends on like and what nature you come back. You know, he's just like so brutal and so over it. He's very much like a broken down guy because Gondor has been in the shadows of Mordor this whole time. And he's had to be right up against the border of Mordor longer than anyone else. So he's just... And we know later that he's been looking into the Palantir as well, which kind of like accelerated his descent into into craziness. And that was a crazy moment too, where he's like, "Go now and die in what way seems best to you." Like he's <laughs> he's like the example of having given up hope. Like the hobbits held on to hope this whole time, and then Denethor's kind of the example of how a character in this moment would would just kind of give up. And so he's like the idea of burning himself alive is uh, so the, hardcore. The, with Faramir. With like, Faramir, right. That was such a <laughs> it was a very interesting thing that Tolkien thought to do. I never would have thought to be like, oh yeah, someone's gonna he's gonna burn himself and burn his son who he's it was hard to grasp exactly what he thought was Faramir's state at that time. I feel like he was kind of insisting Faramir was dead, 
Or was right. he just he, saying he was, like he's he good probably, as dead? He was more along the line that he's he's dead. There's no saving him, even <sighs> if he is like clinging to life, which I'm not even going to bother to check. He was going to be dead anyway, just like all of us. So go and die in the way you best seem fit, which is a great line when there's like an army at your door and you're kind of held up in the castle. You're like, just go and just go die. Okay. Like, let me do my thing. You do your thing, which is a crazy take in the middle of battle where Gandalf's like, we can like muster the troops and organize the battalions and like hold out. And he's just like, no, not interested <laughs> which is yeah uh, meanwhile a huge battles going on it, it's uh really it was a really interesting setting for sure and it's inter- the battle stuff it was so interesting juxtaposed against what we normally get now it feels like what you're usually getting in modern fantasy with these battles is they try to put you in the place of someone in the middle of this whole thing. Sometimes you get a commander or whatever as a different perspective, but they want you to feel like you're in this battle. And then it feels like with Tolkien, he just wants you to kind of know what happened in the battle. Like there's a few moments where he'll take battle tactics guy. He just uses the battle as a way to press this sense of doom yeah. and dread on the characters, which puts a number on Denethor, which we understand later was kind of his mental state was kind of fragile from consulting the Palantir. But um, and that was another thing. There was like some great moments where Gandalf's explained to him what's happened. So he's like, you've come to me and you don't even give me news like i know this stuff already you know which was another fun thing about denethor but we find out it's because he used the palantir which kind of explains why he was going extra crazy and and lighting his um lighting himself on fire which was pretty wild that's another one where doesn't he kind of like trip into the flames or something he doesn't actually light himself on fire does he Uh, he pours the oil on himself deliberately I'm trying to remember. What I remember from that is it's written like really quickly, especially yeah, after all so the buildup for it, because there's yeah. so much buildup. And it's kind of like, and then there's something weird too with him, like letting out a final wail or <laughs> something. Yeah. Is that, and accurate? he was, yeah, and something and like, and like, he was never seen again by yeah, exactly. any living man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and <laughs> then it's like, like that. And then Gandalf scooped up Faramir and, all was good. <laughs> right. Like, it was hard for me to figure out exactly what was happening there. but my And he was holding on to the Palantir, right? And it's like anyone that tried to use that would just see like the burning hands that he was holding on to it, which is pretty, uh, it's pretty, pretty hardcore also. He threw himself into the raging fire. Okay, so he did, yeah. he did throw himself in, yeah. Clutching the Palantir. Okay, so he did, uh-huh, which... It's pretty hardcore. Another leading figure that dies in that battle, which was kind of, which was a little more touching than I remembered, was, um, which was the death of um, 
King Theoden of of the of Rohan, where he's talking with Mary. He's like dying in Mary's arms, and he's like, "Live now in blessedness, and when you sit in peace with your pipe, think of me. For never now shall I sit with you, as I promised, or listen to your herb lore." Or it's like they had that yeah. dialogue that they were gonna like go off and and smoke together at some point, mm-hmm. and now he's just like in the middle of the battle, dying, and he's like, "I'm sorry, we're not gonna have that moment." And Mary throughout the things like, "I don't think I'll ever smoke again." And everyone's like, no, you have to smoke in his honor. Like, you know, it was like an interesting little B plot. Classic enablers. Yeah. <laughs> right. I don't know. Old Toby sounds pretty, uh, even Gandalf's like, please just give us something to smoke. <laughs> when they go back to Bree. <laughs> I, yeah. It's like, it's like, give us tobacco and we'll love you for it. <laughs> this is before all the health facts came out. <laughs> we get a while to spend time with it's that relationship right that develops yeah. a, a because decent they get amount. told at the same time you have pippin and denethor and then you have mary and theoden and you they both kind of have these parallel stories going on where they pledge fealty to that king or steward and and their relationships are obviously very different but it's kind of the idea of mary and pippin getting trained coming up into their own and having relationships with these people of power and of consequence. And then Mary and Pippin ending up playing a huge role in the story just through their connections with these groups of people. You know, Mary, it's Mary's blade that was able to break the spell of the chief Ringwraith. And then mm-hmm. it was Pippin who saved Faramir. So very interesting uh, dynamic there. Yeah. Your dogs uh, enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, it's just the nature of podcasting from home these days. Got <laughs> As if we used to have some studio <laughs> that we can't go to anymore because of social distancing. <laughs> yeah, if we could only get back to the Friends Talking Fantasy studio, we wouldn't have to <laughs> run into this. Day. Yeah, I just feel like a lot of podcasts I listen to, they switch from home, which is dogs barking like oh, crazy. Yeah. So it's like... And I don't even hear it now. Yeah, big podcasts do yeah. even, because even ones that actually did have studios. So, yeah, bear with us. And uh, <laughs> I think it's uh, it's interesting seeing this Mary and Pip stuff that they they kind of get to be heroes in right. the Shire, even more so than than Frodo at the very least uh, where they're kind of the ones who go around wearing their mail and they've grown because they were drinking the Ents ale and wash. And it's, it's funny to think that they're the ones who after all of this are (laughs) viewed as heroes even more so than the people who completed the main. Well, it's funny. Tolkien like specifically wrote in like no one really remembered Frodo that well mm. or paid much attention to him. They're exactly. much more enamored with Sam and Merry and Pippin than Frodo because Frodo is kind of a recluse. He's uh, suffering a bit from PTSD plus like wounds from his injuries, which I can't wait to talk about the ending because that's like far and away my favorite part of this whole thing. But yeah, it's interesting to see Merry and Pippin kind of come into their own. And, like, Tolkien did a great job of keeping the whole ensemble busy doing stuff and, and ended up paying off at the end, which was really nice, I thought. Um, so, yeah, I really, really enjoyed the Merry Pippin 
relationship. Why don't we just go there? So the ring plops into Mount Doom. Uh, they meet up with Eric. Gollum was dancing too much. Right. Gollum was a little bit too enthusiastic on the <laughs> edge. You know, they don't have um, rail guards on the cliffs of Mount Doom. So we he know just, that. So he just toppled in. Yeah, we do know that's true. They don't. We were up there, I saw. And uh, he toppled in. They spend a lot of time in Gondor, which is whatever. There's the Faramir, um, Faramir-Eowyn relationship, which is fine, but it's like, for me, it doesn't matter. Like I, Faramir was so amazing in Two Towers. He's just a really interesting character. And then this one... Like the daddy issue stuff was kind of interesting, but after that, it's just like okay, you can if you want to have him marry Aowen, they seem like a good match, but it's not like they interacted at all until after the ring fell into Mount Doom. You know, now they're interacting now, so it's like okay, I was fine with it, but it wasn't like a huge payoff for me. <laughs> there was an interesting line in there where Faramir keeps trying to convince Eowyn to see him as a legitimate love interest because yeah. she's so caught up on Aragon. Right. And uh, <laughs> at some point he says some nice words to her and there's a line that's literally, and Eowyn's mind changed. Just <laughs> <laughs> so Tolkien. Yeah, it's funny. But I mean, it's like, dude, Aragon, you got to be realistic here. He's like <laughs> the king of all men now. He's going to go off with some immortal elf lady. He doesn't, you know. But that comes out of nowhere in the books. It feels like that's actually built better in the movies. Yeah, right? I can understand why Eowyn is attracted to Aragon. Like anyone would be attracted to someone with that much power and who's that like you know, attractive and nice and all these other things that Aragon is described to be like, who wouldn't be attracted to that? So I can see someone and especially someone who desires to go on and do great things like Eowyn does. So I can see why it would be a kind of a one-sided romance. And they like when Aragon goes off to the paths of the dead, they mention that like Eowyn tries to stop them and tr then tries to, you know, just looks on and gets kind of worried and, and doesn't like being left behind and all this other stuff. And that's kind of where that starts. And it doesn't really come back again until Aragon's like healed her and then left again. It, 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 he touches on a little bit. It's not the most fleshed out thing in the world, but it is interesting to have that one-sided relationship. And then Faramir's like, how about the steward of Gondor instead of the king, you know? And she's like, okay, <laughs> I changed my mind. You're right. I should settle. <laughs> it's so, so interesting that, that Tolkien chose to do that. It felt like he was building a relationship that would actually happen when I knew it wouldn't because I'd seen the movies. Right. But if I was reading this, I think especially. I don't know how you'd expect to know who Arwen was, you know, because oh yeah, no, because not at all. in the movies, Arwen's the one that saves Frodo in the mm. Return of the in the Fellowship of the Ring, which is not the case in the books, and you wouldn't know right. who Arwen is without reading the appendix and all that. So to see, like, okay, and then now Arwen's arrived and they got married, hooray! It's like okay, I didn't know you were kind of having that long-distance relationship this whole time, you know, it wasn't really mentioned until after the ring falls into Mount Doom, so 
It's pretty much a plot point in the movies that she's going to give up, that she yeah, I would get to live in Elf. Life. Yeah, which is a whole, and, and they had scenes where um, Elrond was like, I forbid you from doing this. And then she had the visions like, you saw a child and you didn't tell me. And it was like, what? <laughs> None of this happens in the, at least in the main books. Maybe he wrote about it in the appendix or something. And um, that's what they lifted to, for the movies because I think the movies are like you need a romance and uh, they purposely put in more Arwen and Liv Tyler does an amazing job obviously those are some great moments especially in the fellowship when she rescues Frodo I love that <laughs> um, I so, appreciate it yeah so I mean that's kind of stuff I was happy to when they finally left Gondor but it was touching Me to too. see Aragon give props to the hobbits, and then Gandalf was the one to put the crown on him. All that kind of stuff I thought was nice, but I didn't need to like stick around for all that. Me neither. I mean, this was part of what I was getting at earlier. <laughs> is I don't, I don't know if I needed really much of what happened after the <laughs> the ring plopped into <laughs> Mount Doom. I mean, I, I like to know what happened to people, but I don't really know need to know how or be <laughs> that present for it. And out well, the ruffian stuff, <laughs> Charles. Well, let's not be hasty now because there's a few other things that happened first that I want to get to. The first being, I love this scene between Gandalf and Pippin. Gandalf drops this line. He's like, but you too, Pippin, I love you. If only because of the pains you have cost me, which I shall never forget. <laughs> like, Gandalf being this like epic being, he's so annoyed by Pippin that Pippin is one of his like most memorable personalities when he's gone up against Sauron and He's friends with Elrond and Galadriel, and he's always up. He's like, "I will never forget you, Pippin, because you yeah. annoyed me so much." <laughs> it is funny to think of that—that Gandalf that is going to live this ridiculously long life. <laughs> I don't know the details. I'm no Lord of the Rings lore expert. I don't know how long Gandalf's going to go on after this, or if he's supposed to die at any point. But it is funny to think, no matter how long it goes, he'll always think back and be like. Ethan Pippin. <laughs> it's like, oh God, Pippin, man, so annoying. <laughs> yeah. Because, Pippin's been dead for <laughs> millennia. I'm just glad that they have that moment because I forgot he's like, I love you, which is like, that's awesome that he says that. Like, I didn't remember that being a thing, but I'm glad Tolkien carved out that moment where he's like, and this is the moment where Gandalf tells Pippin he loves him, even though he's super annoying, but that's kind of mm-hmm. like endearing about him, which I thought was cute. And then they go back to Isengard and they run in with Treebeard, which I was happy to see Treebeard back in the action. I'm sure you were. <laughs> he drops this great line where he's like, never is too long of a word even for I did me, like that. said Treebeard, which is such a great, because now like the the series is coming to an end and they're kind of going back and, and like having recaps with all the characters and all of Treebeard's arc up to this point was I was like, Hill, that's such a hasty word for something that's been forming for thousands of years and all that. And now you're coming in to him at the end and he's like, never is too long of a word, which is so great because it's a, obviously it's a short word, but the idea of like things will never end. He's, and for a character that's the oldest living thing in all of Middle Earth, he's like, that's, 
don't say never. You know, I think the context was like, we might never see each other again, or we'll never be a group again. Or I think I remember the context. I think it's actually that Aragon. I could be totally wrong, but I think it's that Aragon says to Treebeard that, uh, like, the deeds of the Ents will never be forgotten in Gondor or, or whatever. Right, and then. <laughs> Treebeard is like, never is too long of a word, even for me, and goes on to say things like, you're men, you'll live however many years, and this city will go on for however long, or whatever, but never is... <laughs> never is a very very different concept than how you're using it here right. and i think that's part that's part of what makes the lord of the rings special and cool is that line wouldn't have landed as well with in just about any other fantasy novel that i've read because the idea of scale in mm-hmm. the lord of the rings is so much greater yeah <laughs> yeah so it's like if a character said that i mean even let's just say the Lord Ruler in Mistborn or something said that would be like the best we could get. And even it would not have landed as well because it's like, uh, yeah, we get the sense that the Lord Ruler has been around a really long time, but it's totally different when you're dealing with the scale of the Lord of the Rings, which. Right. And the time you've spent with the Ents too and Treebeard. I just thought that was a huge payoff line for me. I I was touched by that. And and then he ends it with a little comic relief where he's like, and if you see any Ent wives, let me know. <laughs> I love that little quirk where they're like looking for the female Ents. It's like if you see any Ent wives while you're over there. And even like the first thing's like we live in the Shire. He's like, What's that? Oh, you should go and see if there's Ent wives there. <laughs> it sounds like a place they would like, which is like, what, dude? <laughs> this guy's just looking for a companion. Uh, so awesome. And poor then, Treebeard. Poor Treebeard. We love him. Though. So that was a touching final moment with Treebeard. And then they go to Bree. And then this is where Gandalf splits up with the group. And I just had to bring up this line where the Gandalf's like, I don't want to go to the Shire. You guys will will handle it. He's like, I'm going to go have a long talk with Bombadil. Such a talk as I've not had in all my time. He is a moss gatherer, and I have been a stone doomed to rolling. But my rolling days are ending, and now we shall have much to say to one another. Which I thought was another really excellent line. This idea of Bombadil being a moss gatherer, which he most certainly is. (laughs) And describing it as like, and I've been a stone doomed to rolling where he's like, I've been so focused on um, defeating Sauron, defeating the enemy that I couldn't stop and have a chat with Bombadil. Like going to Bombadil wouldn't help me beat the enemy. So I had to keep putting him off, but he's this enigma that I'm dying to talk to. And now that I'm enjoying the spoils of victory and peace, I can go talk to him. So I thought that was a cute little moment. And of course, a little shout out to Tommy B, which you can't not we always up. love tommy b <laughs> <laughs> on this podcast we we love tb and then that and, gets a, oh if you want to mention oh, anything there i just think it's a really cool poetic quote and i appreciated the i love that turn of phrase yeah yeah i mean because a rolling stone gathers no moss right. so to draw from that and kind of flesh it out in such a clear way was was pretty cool He's a moss gatherer, and I'm a stone doomed to rolling. I love that. Yeah, <laughs> you get the sense that uh, so Gandalf is someone who longs to be able to 
just chill and yeah. <laughs> i mean he obviously loves things like smoking with bilbo yeah. and stuff like that and if he could he'd probably like to just hang around and do things like that but he he is that's a stone doomed to rolling that's true so he pieces and then now we're in um we are back in the shire with the scouring of the shire with dylan's ruffians <laughs> What do you want me to say, to you, Charles? <laughs> I won't I, let you say it if you don't want I, to. No, but. I'll say it. I I texted Charles earlier. I was like, "Why am I reading about these ruffians?" <laughs> <laughs> and the word "ruffians" was used so many times there. So there, I literally googled it, and I was on the Lord of the Rings wiki, and it's like the ruffians are a group of half orcs and something else. Yeah, I was now wondering like, how you'd what react is to this because it's going not on. it's not anything even remotely like the movies. Why? And <laughs> I was like, I didn't prepare you for that at all. I was like, let's just see what he <laughs> how he feels about the scouring of the Shire. The Bombadil stuff I was very prepared for, I think. So when even though it's this thing that happens that goes on for a while and much longer than the ruffian stuff for sure. Way then, longer. Yeah. And doesn't doesn't really add much but flavor the flavor that we love because we love tb to this series i i think i was just i couldn't believe how long it was going and this was really toward the tail end of it and i was like what are we getting out of this really fleshing out the ruffian interaction (laughs) i do feel like i guess it establishes that when they go back who they are now yeah. So exactly. now they're the people that you send out to deal with these ruffians. And I don't know. It's just an interesting thing for Tolkien to have spent so much time yeah. on it when he's the person who's also willing to just say things like, Helms and then Eowyn changed her mind. Yeah. It's like, and then the hobbits dealt with the ruffians. Yeah. I think I would have been okay with <laughs> You know, me too. I do think they went and like, and then Mary went off to old so and so and gathered his son, this guy, and Pippin Mm -hmm. went off and got. I'm like, oh goodness. (laughs) I do like the idea of them coming back and the Shire being in trouble and them solving it solely on their own. I do like that because I feel like the whole time they've needed help and like when they went out at the beginning, they almost got eaten by a tree right at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So this idea of like they've come back completely changed and now completely capable was a fun idea. And then for like to make it Saruman who comes back, he has this one good line. He's like, you thought you had done very well out of it all and could now just amble back and have a nice quiet time in the country. He's like... You thought you could just go and do all these things and then come back and just enjoy life? <laughs> like, Saruman is too much of a bitter guy to just let them have that. And so he targeted them directly is kind of a crazy but, thing. Yeah. So this is, I was also texting you about this, Charles. Yeah. This is the the icing on the cake that was my confusion at this whole ruffian thing. How how is Saruman this petty (laughs) that he would do this at the same time as doesn't he have ridiculous powers if he actually wanted to do really bad things to the 
hobbits into the Shire. Not that he... anymore. He lost his powers in the Two Towers when Gandalf took them away from him after he oh, okay. lost. Um, after he lost Orthanc, and when the ants attacked, and then that's when like that moment Gandalf looks up, he's like, "Your staff is broken," or whatever, mm-hmm. and then he describes that like the powers that be turned away from Saruman, and now Saruman oh. is basically like doomed. He's like, I broke his staff, but his his words are still dangerous. You know, he keeps uh, Gandalf kept dropping those hints where he's like, yeah, the like he seems like a frail old man, but he still has a sharp mind and a sharp tongue, and he's still dangerous. Well, I think Gandalf kind of saw that. So he basically was a powerless, petty old man. And then when he saw like the company going past him and like taking pity on him, he was like, I'll show them, and just went straight to the Shire and and. Mm cut down all the trees it was a ridiculously petty thing to do and something that was told in a kind of roundabout way but i'm glad that it happened but i agree it was just kind of a lot to get through to get us to the end of that where it's like mary and pippin were brave warriors sam has become the de facto like lore guy man of the people Frodo mayor mayor but not yet they did save the mayor and the sh- and and all that but he does become mayor. oh well and, they say you could be mayor for as long as you want or something yeah. Frodo says that and yes. I know you dropped a line <laughs> <laughs> like seven seven year terms or something mm. he ran and was mayor so yeah it's um it was l- nice to see all those moments. I love the moments with Frodo where people just couldn't relate to Frodo anymore and thought he was weird and Frodo couldn't mm-hmm. relate to others. It's like once a year when he was when he got stabbed, he, he like it becomes a recluse and and it gets us to this moment which is one of my favorite moments in all of fantasy when they when they meet up with the elves and Gandalf and Bilbo and they go um, to the shores and they sail west. I just love this moment so much. First, it starts with the comic relief of Bilbo where he's like, well, I passed the old toque today, so that's settled. Now I'm ready to go. (laughs) Where it's just like, I finally am the oldest hobbit ever. So I'm all set. (laughs) It's like a cute little moment. But they get to the shores and Frodo drops this amazing line. He's like, but I've been too deeply hurt, Sam. I tried to save the Shire and it has been saved, but not for me. And it's just like such a, a profound thing to say where it's like, I'm not, I'm not okay right now. Like I'm still kind of shaken from that whole experience and it's just not saved for me, even though everybody's happy, I'm not. And I think that's when this was like, I think a lot of Tolkien drew a lot of inspiration from World War One, and so I think a lot of that, um, like post-traumatic stress from war, is what he kind of drew on for for Frodo in these moments where he's just like, I, I just don't have good days. It's like not saved for me. Which, you know, everyone back in England was having a merry old time, like nothing ever happened. But then there were all these soldiers that were suffering. You know, and even in all the success of post-war economy so i i just i just love that moment it is a great moment and it helps drive home the cost of doing all this there's times where i think literally sam says at one point about what's happening to them immediately after they are saved following getting rid of the ring where he's like they even find bill the 
Yeah, Bill the Pony comes back, yes. <laughs> and he's like, this is going as well as things possibly could have gone. Yeah. <laughs> and I think if you do too much of that, then it's like, okay, I guess this wasn't such a big deal after all. And yeah. by having Frodo the ring bearer ha- come back with, and if he was drawn from <laughs> World War One stuff and I'm sure Tolkien saw a lot of people come back very shaken from their experiences there. Right. He fought in World War One, correct? And yeah, I believe so. And yeah, so they would have called it shell shock back then. That's right. <laughs> my little psych history. They would not have called it PTSD, but that's <laughs> what it was. And it hadn't been invented yet. Yeah, so. <laughs> shell shock and i think that's a lot of what frodo seems to be dealing with here some of it with even magical levels of it right that that wound has some sort of magic properties to it if I, right when he got stabbed am i wrong here charles about what being stabbed well he got stabbed yeah by the nazgul at Weathertop. Yeah, yeah that's got magical Oh, yeah, like anything that Nazgul touch gets corrupted and festers and they drew out most of it. But even like um, that was the problem with Merry and uh, Eowyn. When they come in contact with the Nazgul, there's just so much evil magic that even though they they in their case, they stabbed the Nazgul and their arms were feeling the repercussions of it. And in Frodo's case, he got stabbed by some very dark magic. And yeah, he just never recovered from that. Absolutely. So Frodo, I think, gets this gets this point where we get to see both that it was such a sacrifice and we also, it's kind of bittersweet because it is bittersweet. you get this sense that where he's going is a positive place. Right. And I love that. And right before they sell off, they have... Um, you know, Gandalf's there with all the hobbits, and he's like, well, here at last, dear friends, on the shore of the sea comes the end of our fellowship in Middle-earth. Go in peace. I will not say do not weep, for not all tears are an evil. And it's just like you finally have come to this moment where it's like Gandalf is done. The elves are done. Frodo's done. And now it's like, you know what? We've done what we came to do, and we're moving on, and it was just a pleasure being with you guys and I'm let's go in peace and it's just such a for me I just loved every part of this and just the whole metaphor of sailing into the west and the gray heavens I'm just absolutely in love with the idea that they it's basically death right it's like a really pleasant way to view dying and they go there willingly they're like well our jobs are done here you know we lived good full lives we accomplished what we set out to do and now it's time and we embrace it which is a very um, charming thought, you know, this idea of like, you know what, when you're done, when you've accomplished all you needed to do in this world, you go on to the next one. And then it's a sad parting, but it's also a good one. Bittersweet, as you said. And I, I, I just love these moments. For sure, Charles. I know this is a very influential moment for you personally, because yeah. I remember way back when we were, teenagers actually having a conversation as uh as happens sometimes you end up talking to your buddy about death yeah and uh i remember you you 
<laughs> As you do, Charles and I have had enough conversation at this point. Probably everything has come up. And uh, <laughs> I remember you talking about this and how influential it's been for you. Yeah, just the whole metaphor of Into the West. I just, such a Tolkien moment and such like a seal the deal. Great way to end this trilogy of like, I, I'm done now. I'm sailing on and in the books it even writes like goes into frodo's point of view as he's mm -hmm. sailing west and it's a really intense moment it's like and the ship went out into the high sea and passed into the west and it's describing um, the fragrance in the air and the sound of exactly. singing that came over the water and then it seemed to him that as in his dream in the house of bombadil mm -hmm. the gray rain Old curtain TV turned reference. all to silver glass and was rolled back and he beheld white shores and beyond them a far green country under a swift sunrise. So to me, it's like, it's written in such an intense way. I feel like Frodo's like dying right now. Like he's seeing the light and stuff is like, which is um, really awesome. But then it cuts to, and then all Sam saw was just a gray mm -hmm. horizon. And he just didn't say anything. And he just stood there and like watched him sail away, which is like such a, emotional moment where they go through all these things together they were like on the edge of the world together they thought they were going to die together they came back they lived together for so long and then now like after all that work sam put into making frodo happy and comfortable Frodo's just like i can't do it, it it's beyond saving for me like i'm done and sam just doesn't understand it he's got a wife and kids and everything and the shire's thriving with the seeds from Galadriel and, and Frodo just is like I can't do it man and Sam just accepts it and watches him go without him which Sam would it has yet to be apart from Frodo for so long so it's such an emotional thing that Tolkien just absolutely nailed in the, in the ending of this that I mean what a great ending where he's just silent the whole time then he goes home and his wife puts him in the chair puts the kid on his lap and he's like well that's that I'm home the end it's like crazy beautiful ending for sure and i think one thing that does that that does benefit from all this extra time that we got eh, mm. toward the end of this thing is that moment where frodo sails off into the west because it makes you feel like frodo gave coming back to the shire and living a real shot right well, in the movies, it happened so fast. Yeah, like, there was oh, no scouring you're just done the over Shire, here. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> and I think it feels like in this book, it's like Frodo gave it his all to just go Several back to, to living a normal life in the Shire, and it just wasn't happening for him. And the... The movies is just so quick that it's like, oh, I guess Frodo was really messed up by this and doesn't yeah. want to do this anymore. Right. So, man, I remember sitting in the theater watching the movie, never wanting it to end and be like, is this the last scene? Is this the last scene? And you're like, oh, wow. Okay, we're we're done. <laughs> when they when they when Frodo sailed off and Sam went home, I just I just loved everything about that. And that brings us to the the end of the story of the Lord of the Rings. I just really quickly, uh, before we go, I guess, um, what, I'm trying to get your parting experience. Like, was this a worthwhile endeavor? I could tell you it wasn't the most exciting read you've ever been through, but um, what was kind of the takeaways you got from this? How, well, how was your reading experience? 
I'm happy to have done it. I, I think <laughs> I think I'm ready to sail off into the West <laughs> with this series myself <laughs> at this point. And I think I put it off for far too long. I think that it's if you're a real big uh, real feels a little gatekeepy. I'll just say if you're a huge fan of fantasy, then you'll probably find some worth in going back to something that was so seminal for this genre as as I did. It's it's got some things that just you won't find really anywhere in modern fantasy like this world building stuff and fleshing out the world to the same extent this unabashed willingness to act like the things that are happening are really legendary and important and epic as you love saying Charles right and there's value in that and I totally get as I said even after the first Fellowship of the Ring episode, I get why this is still many people who have read a lot of fantasies, favorite fantasy novels, if you're looking for the kind of stuff that I was just describing. Is it my favorite fantasy (laughs) series? No, we never thought it would be, but I'm very happy to have read it and to be able to draw from it moving forward. Well, that was the... Best I was hoping for when I was pitching these series way back in the day for you. I mm-hmm. I always had the fear of like, this might be just too old school and go off and too far into the weeds for Dylan to get anything valuable out of it. Like going through the Tom Bombadil stuff, the scouring of the Shire stuff, the ruffian stuff. It's like, I'm not sure if he'd be <laughs> able to hold on through all that. <laughs> but you persevere i'm a little hasty yeah you are hasty as treebeard would say and i'm just uh glad you got something out of it and that you enjoyed it and now you finally have it under your belt you're uh it's just one of those experiences that any fantasy podcaster needs to have and now i have it I mean, I enjoy. I always love reading the series. Obviously, it, it is a little more like work than reading something more contemporary. I'll admit to that. But I, I just the moments that do pay off from like uh, just um, the minds of Moria, Shelob, Grey Heavens. Like every time you hit on these big moments, it's, it just brings me back to wraps me back into the wonder of this series that no other series has been able to to achieve in, in, in my eyes. There's certainly tons of more epic, modern, really thought-provoking series that I've read and loved, but Tolkien just has this special place. He captures my imagination and adventure that um, few fantasy series have. So always a pleasure reading it, and I'm glad this time I got to read it uh, with my buddy Dylan. And I'm always happy to be reading it with my buddy Charles. Wow, well... There we go, guys. We have finished our buddy read of The Lord of the Rings. And um, go in peace. And I'll say do not weep, for not all tears are evil. We will be back (laughs) with another buddy read very soon. You definitely misquoted that. (laughs) Do not weep. Because the point I quote wasn't it that it's like don't stop yourself from weeping because it's okay to cry 
Oh yeah, I will say do not weep. I should have said I will say part. <laughs> the I will not say or yes. I no, I will I will not I will say not do say not weep. Do not weep. For not all tears are an evil. Yes. Thank you for correcting me there. So I will not say that, guys. <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, I'm sure there's so many listeners who are just crying their eyes out at the idea that our buddy read discussions <laughs> are over, Charles. Uh, well, um, that's okay. <laughs> I feel, it's cool, guys. <laughs> Express yourselves. Not all tears are evil. So enjoy that. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening to another episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy podcast we have a little bit more lord of the rings to go we're going to wrap up our new zealand trip if you into those kinds of discussions us reminiscing about a cool trip we took definitely check us out recommend going to our youtube channel for that one we're sharing a lot of awesome pictures and video the YouTube needs some love the youtube is in desperate need of love so go over there and check out the video there you're not gonna regret it uh, everywhere else you can find us we're the FTF podcast on Instagram and Facebook and we're the FTF podcast one on Twitter send us an email at uh, the FTF podcast at gmail.com we would love to hear from you and um, yeah it's tune in uh, on Wednesday and then uh, next week we're gonna have a uh, spoiler free friends episode that you're definitely not gonna want to miss so uh, is, is that is that all Dylan is there anything you want to add to the outro? did an awesome job oh if throw us five stars if you if you want if you like it yeah five stars please on uh on apple podcasts if you have an iphone and um anywhere else you can rate podcasts drop us a review we could use it if you don't like it we'll just take critical feedback on any of those platforms where you can contact us and we'll do our best to make changes anything less than five stars don't worry about (laughs) it just send us some critical (laughs) feedback and we'll work on it um but if you liked it enough to give it five stars, definitely look into that. Every every review makes a difference at this point. So if you want to be that difference in, in the world, drop that review. Charles, this email says to stop talking over the outro. We've heard you. <laughs> you have been heard, and we will take it into consideration. We value your feedback. Your feedback's important to us. Yes. And uh, as always, go forth and conquer, friends.